0: Well I, you know seriously, I, I have it in my pocket, and I'm, I think that's what had happened. I, at least that's my story anyway. so uh, anyway <laughs> this morning uh, we're going to uh, we're going to read from the Old Testament prophet Micah in the the sixth chapter of of that book and in, in there in the old testament we're going to read actually just three verses, six through eight and uh yeah, I was talking to somebody this week, and, and they were kind of confessing a little bit of their hesitancy sometimes in Bible study groups or even in church with their own Bible because they don't know where things are. You know, they, they were like, I, I'm just sometimes embarrassed because I don't know all the books of the Bible. And I wanna, want you to hear me say, um, don't be. They were, they were saying, well, I keep the table of contents marked. That's, that's good sense. You know, that, that makes sense. Please don't ever be embarrassed about where you are because we all start somewhere. And the reality is there's a lot in some of these, these books in the Old Testament. In fact, you may be sitting there thinking this morning, I didn't even know there was a Micah in the Old Testament. That's okay. That's where we start. That's how we learn. And, and look, I'll tell you, I, there, there's a preacher trick I do sometimes, which is I know general vicinity sometimes. I don't always remember the exact order, so I know how to kind of thumb through and find it. And sometimes I just have the verse memorized, so I don't actually even open to it. I just pretend to. And I just tell you what it is, you know. And then... Because I figure you don't know what I'm looking at anyway, unless, unless I say I'm reading from Revelation and I'm like up here in the front, but um, there's all kinds of tricks, that's all I'm saying. Don't ever, don't ever be embarrassed by that, but we're in Micah today and we're going to talk about this setting and th- what's kind of going on, but these are the most famous verses in Micah. They're very, very familiar and famous verses for a lot of people in the, in the Old Testament, in the Scriptures, but we're going to pick up at verse 6, and this is what Micah speaks, and God th- speaks through Micah. He says, "With what shall I come before the Lord, and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings with, uh, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams with ten thousands rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Brothers and sisters, we thank God for the reading here of his word. Let us pray. Lord, we do pray that you would speak to us in these moments through your word, through these hour, this hour of worship, through the presence of your Holy Spirit, that um, you would begin to just speak to our hearts, and shape us into the way of Christ. That is our prayer, and we pray it in His name. Amen. I had um, coffee last week um, with a, a pastor out in Bradenton. We met at the Starbucks out near the near the hospital. And uh, we're talking about ministry. She was sharing some things she's doing. She's doing some innovative ministries. And it pertains into some of the, the research I'm doing for, for dissertation work. So I was meeting with her and um, spent the hour together. And came home that night. And Tony, as, as does at the end of the day, said, you know, how was your meeting today? And, and I said, I said, oh, I was good. I was good. She is a, she's a sharp, young pastor. And as the words were spoken, I cringed a little inside. Um, because I realized th- there's that part of it. It's like I used to be the the young pastor, you know. That was that was me. I was the one in my twenties and, and doing some of these kind of things that she's doing, and she's doing wonderful ministry. And but it just as it came out of my mouth, I thought, oh, I hate the fact that that's that's not me anymore, <laughs> you know. And that's life, and that's the way it goes. Well, it is relative. I'm in the middle. I'm still young on some. I'm so, well, I'll take it. I'll take charity. I will, I'll accept it. Um, but, but the whole reason I thought it, and I started to think about, uh, she shared some of the things she's doing, some of the things I was doing when I was where she is in ministry and, and was, was working in multi site and starting new camp, you know, doing a new church start, and, and things that, that, you know, some things that worked and some that didn't. But it was in that time, and I was doing a lot of reading, kind of spiritual entrepreneurial reading. You know how to how to be kind of on the front edge of things and how to lead. And one of the books that came to my attention, that a lot of people read at that time and still do, was a book by Jim Collins called *Good to Great*. Uh, it was it's a business book, but but it was read not only in business world but the church world. We read it. Some of you are not in your head. You may you may have read it, and it had. A lot of really wonderful insights in it but the but the, the pursuit of it was how to be great a great company or if we we're going to contextualize it how to be a great church how to be um, strategically to have an advantage to be distinguished um, by by the things that, that you do and the accomplishments of of your product or, or your business superior performance was the was the kind of the mindset how to achieve superior f- performance and be a um level five leader that was that was what it did and it looked at these companies as examples of that and i started to think about that mindset again and reflect on that that pursuit of greatness Uh, that's that's something that is ingrained within us we celebrate the great the greatest athletes the greatest teams now as much as i hate to say it you know we're we're in super bowl week and there's all that conversation this is the the like Seventh time, eighth time, Tom Brady's been to the Super Bowl. Greatest quarterback, greatest team, greatest coach. We're gonna hear that all week long. It's nauseating. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but that's but that's what we prize. That's what the greatest companies. We have lists of the, the great leaders and, and businessmen and businesswomen and who makes the most money or has the biggest portfolio or all of these things. That's what we we culturally celebrate. And that mindset infiltrates us in the church. We do too. Who's got the best ministries? We celebrate the biggest, the biggest churches, the most people that come. And, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those churches. This isn't me criticizing anything. But, but that's we, we kind of get in that microcosm. We have lists, the 25 biggest churches in America that comes out every year. What are the, the pastors, the, the Joel Osteens and the um, Andy Stanleys and, and those churches that have thousands upon thousands. In Methodism we do it. I saw a list the other day. It was the 25 fastest-growing churches in United Methodism. But before you could even be on the list, you had to be over 1,000. You know, we, we kind of celebrate that. And there's practical reasons for that. I understand that. But we, we kind of buy into that understanding of greatness that permeates us. And I'm not opening. I have no desire to get into politics here. But, but we saw the make America great again. And that's what we pursue, greatness. And that's, that's, that's what we strive for. And that's what Jim Collins was talking about. How do we be great? How do we lead into greatness? What's interesting thing, and interesting, is in the 15 years since that book was written, it was written in 2001, there were 11 companies that were highlighted, that were lifted up as models of greatness and leaders of those companies. And the, if the, for those of you that read it, you remember, what, what he does, does is he takes uh, companies, two companies often in the same market, and he compares them. In that time, one of those companies that was achieved greatness was Walgreens. Compared that with Eckerd Drugs. I remember Eckerd's, which would kind of CVS now would be a comparable. Uh, and Eckerd, which hadn't done well and would soon close, or maybe even had. I don't remember when Eckerd had closed, but, but Walgreens, what they had done better. And there was 11 of these kind of companies. The interesting thing is in the decade since, or the 15 years since, If you use that same metric of greatness, only two of those companies would still be considered great. One of the companies profiled in good to great, Circuit City. Closed in what, 2009, I think? Uh, Another one profiled in that was Fannie Mae, the Federal National Mortgage Association, uh, which needed a little help a few years ago, if you remember. A number of companies are still in business, but they haven't, they haven't continued that, that level of excellence, one of which uh, off the top of my head is Wells Fargo, and they've had a little bit of a problem recently, if you've seen the news, and some of that, only two companies are still considered great by that metric. Nucor, which is a steel company, and Philip Morris, which is a tobacco <laughs> company. It's a whole different point at that, that point, um, but, but the idea is that it is, it's a pursuit, but sustaining that is challenging, is, is difficult. Now, am I saying that book has no value, and am I casting dispersion on the book? No, there's still wonderful insight there. It's still a helpful book, and I'd still recommend it. But it challenges us to begin to think, as we sometimes take on this cultural mindset, this cultural um, achievement desire, of greatness is that what we need to be pursuing does greatness is that our call to pursue greatness or, or does god have something different in mind at least in that understanding of what greatness looks like and so that leads us to micah let's talk about micah for a moment this this prophet as many of the prophets and most of them that are that are in the old testament uh, comes from a time when when the nation of israel or what we had known as the nation of israel is in great turmoil as we've talked about the prophets over the last number of months, this has kind of been a reoccurring theme. We're in the 8th century B.C. Uh, Assyria, the, con- the, the nation of Israel, has split into two kingdoms, had previously split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom of Israel has been overtaken by the Assyrian Empire. So they're, they're in an in, in the exile situation. The, the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is has been spared that only because King Hezekiah paid enough money to the Assyrians to buy them off. Now, If we give you enough, leave us alone. And this happens th- throughout history where nations can, can k- hold off the, the more dominating nation by, by paying a tribute of some sort. That's what's happened in the southern kingdom. And the people are longing for a day gone by. They're clinging and throughout the prophet's words in Micah, they're, they're, they're holding on to these words that were spoken in Genesis 12. If you remember when God called Abraham and he says, your offspring will be a great nation by which we'll reach the world, if I can paraphrase. But, but that idea that we will be our people, our nation, we're supposed to be a great nation. And in fact, at one time we were a great nation. When David was king and Solomon was king, we were great We couldn't sustain it. We didn't sustain it. And the prophet reminds them in the first five verses of Micah chapter 6 remind them of God's promise, God's deliverance, God's coming through and their abandonment of God. The prophet tells them over and over, you have fallen, you have fallen into turmoil because of the choices you've made, because of your oppression for the poor, because of your corrupt government, because of Um, false prophets that have risen, and, and greedy priests that have taken power, and the chaos of your system. You have caused this most importantly because you have forgotten God's justice and God's commandments. And as many of the prophets do, reminds them that this mess is your unfaithfulness, not God's. But what happens is that Micah also weaves into his words. God weaves into this this judgment, if you will, words of hope, words of promise, words of reminder that your day of restoration is coming, that I have not abandoned you, I have not forgotten you, I have not forsaken you, though you have forsaken me, though you have at times given up on me, this is God's perspective, I've not given up on you. And so the people begin to hear those words, that there is a hope, there is a promise, there is a deliverance to come, and they ask themselves the question that we would ask, How do we get there? How do we put things right? How do we get things back in order? How do we restore this relationship with God? How do we begin to to honor God properly? What are the things that we should pursue? And they fall into the trap that we fall into. Let's pursue greatness. Let's pursue greatness. Now, how does that look? Well, listen to the words again. Verses 6 and 7. This is the people speaking with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, the best of the calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 ten rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, maybe there's a little cynicism in there. You know, we can certainly receive some of that. But there's also this understanding that we can make things right, God, if we can give you the greatest that we have. If we can make such a profound, powerful, impressive show of of offering and sacrifice, calves a year old, thousands of rams, tens of thousands of rivers of oil, it's, it's hyperbole. It's saying if we can just... If we can impress you, God, with our greatness, you will look upon favor with us. That's the, the line, uh, the firstborn. Offer the firstborn. Well, that's, that's figurative. God had long ago forbid the sacrifice of children. But the idea is if we can give you the very best of who we are and what we have, if we can impress you, then, then we will have achieved this, this ideal relationship, this restoration that you want. What they're seeking is greatness. So they're seeking. And we have to ask ourselves, where do we fall into that as well? Where do we seek to believe somehow that we can, through a cultural norm of greatness, impress God with what we have, with the fanciest of buildings, the highest of steeples, the most impressive praise band, or the biggest choir, or if we had the best preacher. You're out of luck. Um, <laughs> But if we can can have all these hallmarks and, and, and the fanciest of this and the best of that, then God will be pleased. Then we will demonstrate that we are living into God's favor because we have sought greatness. What I think Micah wants us to know is while Jim Collins says from a business perspective that good is the enemy of great, from a faith perspective sometimes great is the enemy of good does god call us to great or did god call us to something else i want you to hear now verse seven with i'm sorry verse eight this is god's response to their declaration lord can we offer you the best the grandiose the most perfect the most showy the greatest sacrifice This is how God responds. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. Did you hear that? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He has shown you what is good, to act justly, to love mercy, And to walk humbly with your God. Let's talk about those for a moment. I'm going to do a little Hebrew lesson today. I'm going to teach you three Hebrew words. The first word is mishpat. I want you to repeat that for me. Mishpat. 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 To do justly. To do justice. Mishpat. It means to seek divine justice. It's not just that we seek to do what we think is right. But it is an understanding that we are to live into the justice that God has established. So, so when the people talk about divine justice, it's not their perception of what justice is. It's not their perception of how they should behave or how they should act. It is a desire to say, we are going to act into the justice of God that God has revealed. That's what, that's what this kind of goodness means, this justice entrapped in, or that, that encompasses goodness. In fact, a a preacher, once I once heard a preacher say that that the pursuit of greatness is a human pursuit. But the pursuit of goodness is a heavenly pursuit because God has shown us what goodness means, what justice means. So we're called to do justice, mishpat. Now the second, loving mercy, that word, hesed. Hesed. One more time. Hesed. And if you really want to get into the Hebrew, you do it with a little bit of throatiness. throatiness. Chesed. Chesed. Just just make sure nobody's right in front of you when you do that. Chesed. I, I heard a theologian talking about this word. And he said, it is the most treasured characteristic of God in the scriptures. It is a word that is hard to understand with one English word. It doesn't translate very easily to a single word. It encompasses a number. So many places in the scriptures where you see this word, chesed, you'll see it as steadfast love, as mercy, as as kindness. But it embodies the character of God. And it is to embody the character of God's people. There's, There's a psalm. 136th Psalm. In fact, it's part of the refrain that we sang this morning in praise and worship. And I want to read just a few verses. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. This should sound familiar. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lord. His love endures forever. And over and over, it begins to go into an account for the, the acts of God in creation and restoration. And over and over, the refrain, His love endures forever, until it gets to the end. He remembered us in our lowest state. His love endures forever. He freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever. 26 times that is repeated in that psalm. 26 verses, 26 times in proclaiming the deeds of God is is this chorus, his love endures forever. It's a declaration to the character of God and I'll give you one guess as to what that Hebrew word is. Chesed. Chesed. His steadfast love, the love that endures forever. So what becomes the character of those who seek to live in right relationship with God? It's not just a celebration of God's love, but it becomes a love that we're then to embody to the community, to the world around us. We are to do justice to those around us, to fight for the oppressed and the marginalized we are to live loving kindness steadfast love because god has shown it to us that's the promise god hasn't forgotten you in his love and you are to embody that john says in his epistle chapter 13 verse 35 they will know that we belong to christ that we are his or they will know we are christians by our love the love that god has is the love that we leave so mishpat justice chesed Loving kindness. And the last Greek word, Hassaniah. Let's say that. Hasania. Hassaniah. Walk humbly with our God. It embodies this word humbly. Humility. Now, we think of that, we've talked about that, of, of kind of lowering ourselves, thinking high more of others than we do ourselves. That is certainly what humble, to be humble means. But in this context, Hasania means not just what we do, but where we are looking, why we do it. And it is to say that we behave in a way in which our eyes are fixed on God. Humility means that our eyes are fixed on God and the character of our lives becomes the character of God's life. We do what God has shown us that we should do. So our walking humbly with God is to keep our eyes fixed on Him so that our behavior becomes shaped by God's desire for our lives, not by what we want. Our lives are not shaped, or not modeled. Our pursuit is not what we want. Our pursuit, our humility becomes, God, what do you want of me? So my behavior will reflect you. What you have shown me. How you have shown me to live. Last night, I was talking to Tony. I was sitting in the chair in, a, in the bedroom. It was about 8 o'clock, 7.30. I was talking through the sermon, as sometimes I'll do, because she's a great resource. And I, and I talked about this point, this And I said, I'm just... I'm looking for an illustration here. I'm looking for a story. I'm trying to remember something. And she said, oh, I've got one. And she started to remind me of something that I had kind of forgotten, which led to a little bit of a, a treasure hunt for us of some pictures. She reminded me of a, of a time years ago when Ryan was just, just a little guy, just, I don't know what, three, four, two, two years old, two and a half. And um, Ryan had a Mickey Mouse costume that he loved to wear. And I said this led us on a little bit of a treasure hunt, so bear with me for a moment. There we go. That's Ryan and Cassie. And that's that's Ryan and his Mickey Mouse costume. He gave me permission to show this, just so you know I didn't I wouldn't embarrass him. He gave me permission to do this. And uh, that was his costume. And Ryan loved to wear his costume. As you maybe remember from children or grandchildren, Halloween costumes can become any time of the year costumes. And that's, and that's what this was. And he wore it. And you can even see now the feet aren't quite covered up because he's starting to outgrow it. But he wore his Mickey Mouse costume. He'd wear it around the house. It wasn't too long after this picture was taken that we took, I believe it was our first trip to Disney. And you know, Mickey had become kind of the hero, and Ryan got to meet his hero. And in fact, you see another one there of the big hug that Mickey gives. But I want you to pay attention to the posture of Mickey. The posture of Mickey, which normally you wouldn't think anything about. But let me tell you what happened after this trip that we don't have a picture of. The next time we were home, Ryan put on his Mickey costume. And he walked into the kitchen in front of his mom. He got down on a knee. He said, Mama, come here. Mama, come here. Now, why? Because that's what Mickey does. That's what Mickey does. He was modeling the behavior of Mickey, the posture of Mickey, the practice of Mickey. It was That's how you were supposed to be Mickey Mouse, as he would hug on a knee. Hassaniah. Hassaniah. Now, what's our model? Who are we supposed to be? Our Hassaniah. How do we begin to understand what it looks like to walk humbly, to walk in justice, loving kindness? We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Our model, as is, is, uh, is written in Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, we look to Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. That becomes our Hasaniah. And we seek in our lives to pursue the things that Christ has shown us are to pursue. What happens is we get sidetracked. We want to pursue greatness as defined by the world. But Micah says pursue goodness as defined by God. And that we see in Jesus. That's why scriptures are so important to us. Why our Bible study and our reading and being familiar with the stories matter. Even if you don't know a single thing now, that's okay. But don't stay there. Because when we begin to be familiar with the stories of God and in the scriptures and the story of God told through Jesus, because Jesus becomes for us God's perfect revelation. The Anglican theologian Michael Ramsey said, God is Christ-like. In fact, then he, he says it differently. He says, in God there is no unchrist likeness There's nothing about the character of God that is absent from the character of Jesus. So when we look to Jesus, we see the character of God and we begin to understand what our character is to be. What does it look like to do justice? What does it look like to to love mercy or steadfast love or kindness? It looks like Jesus. And we are to reflect that character, that goodness. The Lord has shown you what is good. What is good. What is good. And that's the pursuit of our hearts. or that's the call of the pursuit of our hearts. A few years ago, there was a book written called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. The author of that book went and studied the early church. And the church that at times faced persecution, at times worshipped underground, but grew like wildfire that would change the world. And, And the author wanted to know, what was the key? to that kind of growth? What was the key to that kind of transformation? What was the key to that kind of an impact? Was it great preaching? Was it one powerful worship? Was it a system of of discipleship or a system of evangelism? Well, it was none of those things in and of itself. It was patient relationships. The early church, it would take somebody three years of, of preparation before they could join the church. Three years of, of being in relationship and learning the stories of Jesus and being with other believers and beginning to be shaped into the character of Christ. What they looked for was men and women who would reflect the character of Jesus. And so for them, success wasn't defined by, church gr- by growing a church. Success or faithfulness was defined by growing good people. People that reflected Jesus. Justice. Justice. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. That's the goodness that Micah calls the the community to. That's the goodness that God calls us to, to live into that. What is the pursuit of our hearts? It is easy to get sidetracked pursuing greatness because it gets attention, it gets recognition, it gets praise. But God calls us to the slow call, the slow development of pursuing his goodness. Mispat, hesed, hasaniah. What is our call? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Let us pray. Lord, that, that would be the call, the, the, the truth of our lives, Lord, that we, we do. We, we get sidetracked into the pursuit of, of the greatness that we see in the world around us, of wanting to achieve by a metric and a standard that, that may not be yours, Lord. Forgive us of that. We repent of that sin. Help us to seek not greatness as defined by the world, but goodness as defined by faith. Goodness is defined by relationship with Jesus. Goodness is defined by seeking justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with you. May that be the character of our lives as we reflect the character of Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.